I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Tears of Eden, a nonprofit supporting survivors of spiritual abuse from evangelical communities and home of the Uncertain podcast, is hosting its first in-person retreat con October 20th through 22nd. This retreat con will have the intimacy of a retreat with the intentionality of a conference. In partnership with the I Got Out movement, the Retreat Con will also feature a special event story slam highlighting survivor stories live and in person. Registration is currently open and spots are limited, so don't miss out. Sign up with the link in the show notes. Harrison Mooney's memoir, Invisible Boy, isn't just a story of the experience growing up in an abusive, fundamentalist Christian household. It's also the story of growing up in that space as an adoptee with parents who were a different race. So it was just a, like a bizarre, very lonely childhood, you know, because the, there was just nobody there to corroborate my experience or, you know, uphold my version of reality or just say like, hey, the things that you're going through, those are real things. You're not imagining them. What you, what you see happening to you is, is true. I really, really enjoyed reading this book and highly recommend it. Please enjoy my interview with Harrison Mooney. We both have our coffees. We're ready, ready to go. So loved your book. It's beautiful. Thank you. It's gorgeous. The writing is just, your style is very unique, but it's just a very, you're an incredible writer. I really, really, really love it. I'm a big, I'm a book snob. So when I say that the writing is beautiful, I really mean it because there's a lot of books out there that just like the writing quality and wordsmithing is just difficult, even if you like the content. So I really, really, really appreciated the writing and the story itself. I've been reading it for the past month. And so every time I've been carrying it with me, like everywhere and every time I'm like in a coffee shop or something, somebody will like grab it and they'll be like, what is that book about? Like, what is that? Yeah, so I'm very excited to talk about this. I I was just reading through some pages this morning and getting getting really teary-eyed just at the story itself. It's a very moving story. The letter at the end from your adopted mom, I just, I resonated with it a lot because the tone of it was so similar to a letter that I got from my own mother oh, when I was like talking to her about just like abuse in our family and just that tone of like denial and like that's not what really happened and that that sort of tone I was just like it's literally the exact same tone and then you named the the the, that denial comes out of shame yeah is it's so true like if they're to face what happened and what they did it's too much they can't yeah like it's like the other option is just denial. Um, And so just the audience of the uncertain podcast is survivors of abuse from the church. And that's yeah. Okay. Of what we, uh, of what we all experience from that. So, and then I resonated with so much the cultural, the cultural things that are happening at the time. I guess I didn't goodbye super book. I was raised on super <laughs> You are amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So many. And then that culture of like, 
sequester the children off, keep them in the Christian schools, keep them in homeschool, keep them away from Babylon, like that kind of was very much a part of the world that I grew up in. So that was just resonated a lot with that. But yeah, just to get started, I would just love to hear from you. What were some of the biggest challenges for you growing up? And yeah, just a, a white family with Christian parents. Oh, I mean, you know, I think the the biggest challenge was just, you know, trying to to get people to understand that like the rules seem to be different for me. You know, I I you know, I'd go to church and, you know, there's a, an anecdote early in the book where I'm dancing and a, like a woman kind of hits me on the back of the head. And, you know, she says, dance for there somebody else says dance for the Lord, not for yourself. Yes. And it was just such a weird thing because I thought like, you know, I've seen I've seen other kids dance here. Like I've seen other adults dance here like were they not dancing for the lord like or or were they not dancing for like it was just it was so confusing to to think like what did i do differently that that what i'm doing is 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 wrong you know Mm -hmm. so i would go to my parents and i'd say hey you know this thing happened and then they'd deny it and i like i just couldn't figure it out and so you know, like most of my childhood was just this confusion, like, like, what are the rules of the world? And then, you know, you turn to the people who are supposed to give you guidance and, and, you know, they don't, they, they're not even going to acknowledge your dilemma. Like, I just want to figure this out. Yeah. And and so it was just like a bizarre, very lonely childhood, you know, because there was just nobody there to corroborate my experience or, you know, uphold my version of reality or just say like, Hey, the things that you're going through, those are real things. You know, you're not imagining them. You know, what you what you see happening to you is is true. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah. Did you ever feel like I didn't get the sense from the book that you ever went into this place of like self-denial? Like, oh, it must be me. Like it must be my fault somehow. I feel like you like that confusion that you're naming, like that seemed to be consistent. Like, no, something's something's off here. Something, something, something mm. wrong here. Do you feel like that came? later of like oh yeah there was really something off or when you were in that in that space did you think oh it's me like there's something wrong with me yeah no I mean it it certainly came later at the time you know everybody wanted to say well it must be you and in every you know it was me right like it was me in the sense that (laughs) yeah right like okay well it's 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 the way that my body is presenting in this space that's Mm -hmm. changing the space you know but I, I, I just couldn't find anybody to, to say that. What they wanted to do is say, you know, it's you and it's something that you can change about yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, like, I, I just worked really hard to, to do that. And, you know, some days I think, well, like, I just have to try harder or I just have to feel more authentically or, you know, I'll just be better. Mm-hmm. And, and what, what you realize as you get older, I think, is that, like, that's just impossible. I can't be anybody other than who I am, you know? And if I don't, if I don't love who that is, then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have a good life. So, like, looking back, I saw, like, all of my attempts to, like, to affect self-blame or, or to contort myself into the, you know, the, the right box. And I, I just realized like, Oh, all of that was nonsense. You know, it was, Mm. (laughs) it was a whole lot of claptrap and I can't change who I am. Yeah. And just existence was the, 
was the problem in these mm-hmm. spaces and no one no one seemed to pick up on that what would you say was more problematic the the whiteness of your family or the christianity well i mean like in a lot of ways those are kind of the same thing but yeah. like it's tricky because you know like I, I think that christianity i mean it's certainly the way that the way that my family practiced it you know that's that's very dangerous it's it's like it's difficult to it's difficult to survive like that kind of that kind of christianity but you know i mean that's also true of whiteness you know it's it's just it's so difficult to to wrap your head around to to thrive under those circumstances and then when you combine those two things yeah like you you're really talking about a like a false reality laid yeah. over the world, just like a fine, you know, mesh. And then you're, you're, you're walking around on all of these, these kind of like bizarre, what's the word I even want here? Just kind of like assumptions about the world that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the, the, there was a, there's a quote by James Baldwin that was kind of the beginning of, of writing this book for me, where he said, you know, the, the interior life is a real life. And the intangible dreams of man have a tangible effect on the world. And like, you know, the idea that like what we imagine, we, you know, we, we make manifest, it mm-hmm. comes out in the world in all these ways. And so when you're dealing with, with whiteness and with white Christianity, you know, these things that are kind of just largely imaginary and typically a matter of belief, you know, that, that belief is just kind of affected in the world. And then you have to contend with that reality or you won't survive. Uh, so yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then just like your description of the denial and like, that is that in the embodiment of that, of that perspective is denial. Like yeah. things are not true. Like, I don't care if I have facts in front of me. I don't care if I have witnesses. I like, it's not true. And that, yeah. that hardcore denial. Yeah, very, very well put. What are some things that looking back now, you think would have helped you navigate your identity growing up? I mean, you know, Black parents, I think. Yeah, you know, like certainly I think that like, like Black family members, Black friends, like a community of people that, you know, could corroborate my experience or say like, oh, that happened to me or, you know, the, the next time that this happens, do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a colleague here in Vancouver, a Wade, Wade Compton, and he's, he's a writer and he's adopted as well. But uh, he likes to refer to his adoption as a, a racially contiguous adoption. The idea is the, the, the agency like made sure to place him in a family that had kind of the same ethnic makeup as okay. his biological family would have had so it really just means that he he got a black dad and so you know he was walking down the street with his dad one day and you know a, a man walking past called them the n-word and his dad just said to him you know watch this like people in vancouver can be racist but they're more polite than they are racist and he just turned around and was like hi you know my name is such and such and this guy that was just kind of all snarl and you know disturbance he turns around and just like shakes his hand and the two of them wind up having like a five-minute conversation about something um yeah (laughs) but you know it was just like I've heard this story from from Wade a couple of times and like both times for me the the feeling is jealousy like I just Mm -hmm. yeah like I wanted a dad who could tell me how to how to navigate that situation and then just kind of 
like peel back the fabric of the world and show me the gears. Like that's, you know, that's what I wanted. So I, I really think that, yeah, just like other black folks, black folks in my life to, you know, to give me wisdom and guidance. Like that's what I needed most of all. But I mean, oh, I just feel like you could, there was a lot that I needed. Mm. <laughs> I think there's things I still need, you know, therapy. and. Do you yeah. think that, is it, is it, would you say that it's impossible for, even if like white adoptee parents were like studied and read the books and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's not enough. Like they, they need to give you people that look like you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the the more that I think about it and like, you know, writing this book, I I knew that people were going to ask and, and, you know, hopefully I'd have a solution, you know, you know, I think, yeah, like it, it, because it's not about, you know, reading a lot of Ibram X candy or, you know, I don't even like interviewing others or like, no, like you, you, you need to have this experience and you need to have the, like the wisdom that comes from it. You know, I don't think that it's something that you can, you can, you know, consume. I don't think you can, you can steal this experience. I think that you have to have had it. So yeah, I I really think that, you know, like white parents are just, they're not equipped to raise black babies. This is, of course, to say, and because people will be like, well, yeah, like I gave birth to my black baby. And I understand that, you know, there are mixed race families and like that's different because, you know, you want to be with your your mom. You want to be with your like your biological parents. Right. But, you know, adoptive families where you just you adopt a black kid and then you're like, oh, well, I'm not I don't see color or, you know, you, you wind up not engaging with that. Like that's not going to work. And then for you to read a bunch of books and say, oh, well, now I see color. It's like, yeah, but you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the, the only way I can see that working is if you are in like full blown community with other black families and like, really ideally what happens is that, you know, instead of adopting the baby, you adopt the family, like you, you take mm-hmm. in, you know, in my case, my mom was adoptable, right? She was 16 years old and instead they took me from her. And, and that ruined her life. And what you could have done is just taken her in. You know, you still get this baby, but you also get his mom and you support that whole family. And as you fall for that family, you wind up supporting their extended family. And these two families become properly blended. And, you know, like that's how it can be done. But certainly, you know, two white parents and like a black child, like, no, that, that shouldn't happen. They're not going to get it. Yeah, there's no way to, yeah, emulate the experience. If you could have a conversation with your younger self, what would you say to him? Oh, I mean, I just tell him that like, he's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I, yeah, I I did this experiment in therapy, like new experiment. I mean, I did this, this, uh, what do you call that? (laughs) I I did this in therapy and uh, yeah, my uh, therapist was like, all right, you know, go and, and talk to your younger self. And I thought like, oh, this will be silly. And then I kind of imagined it and then just burst into tears right away. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, because what I really needed was was somebody to tell me, yeah, like you're doing OK, you know, and you like you're, you're doing the best with the circumstances you have. I promise you, kid, like a lot of the stuff they're telling you is just made up. You know, you'll you'll be fine. Yeah. Like, I, I'm sure I would have just if I if I could have gone back and, and talked to young, me, I'd just be like, you know, like. I love you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I affect, 
Oh, I, I, I add the word man after I love you when it's uncomfortable to say, as most men <laughs> do. I am, I am man. I love, I love you, bro. I love you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of amused that I did that to my own younger self. Even now, I'm like, oh, still, it's, <laughs> it's a yes. little weird to say. <laughs> I love you, young me. You're okay. Mm-hmm. What role did literature and art play in your journey? Oh, it was huge. You know, growing up, we, we, we weren't really encouraged to read anything good. You know, we read a lot of, a lot of books from the Christian bookstore and, you know, consumed a, a lot of, of art from the Christian subculture. But, you know, it wasn't until I got to college that I, I really found myself reading, you know, stuff that kind of disrupts your mindset and, and stuff that, that challenges what you think and, and you know, like the, the art that really grows you. And, you know, as a result, I wasn't really ever trained to you know, to read that stuff and, and see the subtext. And so in my freshman English class, I was reading A Streetcar Named Desire. And I read through the whole thing, like, yep, you know, seems like a pretty normal story. And then the, the guy across the hall, he was like, oh, you're reading Streetcar? Oh, I love Streetcar. And then he, he started going into like, just the themes of it you know he's like oh like the the war between idealism and, and, and realism you know the, the the brutal realities of life and the and the and the and the surreal fantasies that we escape to and you know i was like oh, okay like i hadn't actually thought about any of that but now that you mention it uh <laughs> you know i guess i guess that is in there and it was funny because it just kind of unlocked reading for me you know like i i read a lot growing up but not anything that I had to engage with on that level and you know from that moment on like everything I read is just such a delight because it feels like you know like yeah like there's words here but then there's secrets mm-hmm. hidden inside the words yeah I I found that you know I, I missed a lot of the 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 good art and the good literature of of my my youth because because I was in this this Christian subculture but you know, that act of reclaiming it now and going back and, mm-hmm. um, oh, it's just so, it's so wonderful. I, yeah, I, it's, it's just so important to me now. Yeah. There's words here, but there's <laughs> secrets. <I love> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. What would you say are the biggest challenges around your identity that you faced as an adult? Cause the book kind of ends at you're 21, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like honestly, now it's it's just kind of a matter of of, of trying to feel real. Like I, I still feel, you know, when I'm out in the world, like everyone else around me, like those are real people. And then and then there's me, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, like the there's a, a video on my on my Twitter where I'm I'm unbox uh yeah, like I'm unboxing my book and uh, my daughter's sitting behind me just kind of like taking them all out of the box and and stacking them up. It's really cute. But like the the moment of taking my my book out of the box and it like it was a real book you know it's like well my and my name is on it and it has french flaps and like embossing and and i wrote this you know it's it's so surreal for me because i i've just always felt so you know so outside of the world so yeah like i'm always kind of struggling to remind myself like no hey like you're real like your accomplishments are real you know when you take a step it leaves a footprint you're a real person and you know uh, with that there's also still like a lot of uncertainty around my own blackness you know like my (laughs) like reading the book you know that my 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 patterns for taking care of my hair are not necessarily healthy you know and you like I can say that I, I I take better care of it now, but like my tendency is still to want to 
to redact my whole body, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of like exist in a space where I don't engage with it, you know? So like, that's, that's work that still needs to be done. Like there's a lot of work on self-love that I still need to do. And, you know, I think that this book, like ending where, where it does with just kind of a, like a glimpse of my own, my own beauty, like a, like a sense of my own self-love, you know, that was something that like, I really did just kind of experience for the first time in that moment. Mm. so you know everything after that is me trying to hold on to that feeling mm. and and you know kind of live through it without sinking back into the you know the the mire of of the life I had before that moment yeah well it makes sense if all of your developmental years and your most vulnerable years you were invisible and you felt invisible it makes yeah sense that would not just disappear now that you're you're grown and yeah mm-hmm. yeah I mean that's really it right like as a as an ending to a chapter in my life like I I saw how I could be better and you know I saw how I could feel better but yeah you still have to you know you have to <laughs> I don't want to say choose life but you know you <laughs> you, you do kind of right mm-hmm. um, you know choose like self-love choose like you know your own worth your own beauty like it is something you still have to do every day because yeah, like, you know, I, I, I don't live in my parents' house anymore, but I feel like I, I can still trap myself in my own house. You know, I can still just kind of lose myself in like my own shallow beliefs if I'm not careful. Like, I think that there are, um, like, there's always a tendency to, to slip back into like the, the, the patterns of your abuse. Yeah. And yeah, that that really is an ongoing struggle to remind myself, like, no, you're not locked in the house. Like, <laughs> you know, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're not going through that anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, I resonated a lot. Hopefully this isn't a spoiler, but especially once you're out of the house and then you like kept going back and like, hey, see me. Hey, see me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, I'm still here. And still. and that and then every time like that hope, oh, it'll be different this time. Oh, it'll be different mm-hmm. this time. I just, I resonated with that so much. And then that grief that comes when you're like, it's not going to yeah. be different. Like that, that yeah. hope is gone. Like that's a, that's a really, oh, it's, 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 it's shattering for sure. You may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. So what would you say is the role that religion plays now? I know it played a pretty big role in your life growing up, but what, what role does it play now? Yeah, almost no role. It, it's funny. I, I was looking at, you know, just kind of trying to get ready for this podcast and thinking like, I don't even really talk about religion much anymore. Like in the book, I talk about it a lot, of course, but I mean, most people have asked me about like race and adoption and you know, yeah, like, I think that you're probably the, the first person I've talked to where like, no, like the, the thing is, is Christianity. And, <laughs> you know, let's talk about that. So I, I've just gotten away from it. I, I feel like I, people ask, like, well, are you an atheist now? Like, no, like, I feel like an atheist is like, that's just kind of a, 
like that's a term when you're still in it you know you're like oh well like i i choose to believe there's no god like take that god i don't even believe in you but yeah like i'm kind of just out of the game there i don't even have a term i I don't identify as an atheist i don't identify as an agnostic like Mm -hmm. no i'm out i don't believe any of this stuff anymore i've i've just let it go and I think that there's, you know, there's enough else to busy myself in the universe for me to, to not have to worry too much about whether or not, you know, the God right. I was told about <laughs> right, 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 right. is mad at me for not believing in him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I feel like I would say a similar thing for myself. Of, and like, there's, there's a, when you are so identified with like one thing for so long and then yeah. you like, I actually don't know, like that space of like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know but it feels kind of, it feels kind of weird, but then also at the same time, oh, it's actually like freeing to know that life still goes on. Yeah, right? Like you're <laughs> so caught up in this, but like not everyone is, you know, right. I, yeah, right. whenever I, I talk about my, you know, my, my religious dilemmas or my former faith or whatever to my partner, like she just was raised without any of that. And she'd be like, what are you talking talking about but so like when I was growing up in Abbotsford you know very Christian town and I was on the very Christian side of town and there was there was a coffee shop there called ethical addictions and like all of the all of the Christian kids would hang out there you know it was a it was a real scene for these (laughs) these like late 90s Christian youth but there were there were all these dudes that would like leave the church and then like declare themselves atheists and still hang out there Hmm. and you know they just kind of like stand around by the door like do you believe in god because i don't and (laughs) you know (laughs) just yeah (laughs) i'm out of the game and you're like well you're still here like you're still just hanging out with these guys and arguing with them about theology and like i understand that you want to use the knowledge you have otherwise it feels very wasteful but like if you're out of the game, then go to a different coffee shop and talk about different things. And, you know, don't just don't just play the devil's advocate at, at mm-hmm. the Christian hangout spot. So, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, the, a proper letting go of like of this faith means just not not worrying about it anymore. I don't I don't care about labels. I, I don't care about like what may or may not be true about you know the 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 heavens <laughs> like it yeah. just doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah and even just yeah like being in the being comfortable in the i i don't know and like i yeah. think that that's something that like christianity ingrains into you is you have mm-hmm. to know and you have to have the answers and you have to be able to say this and then yeah. you, and then many folks who eventually leave christianity look for that same type of certainty in a different yeah and so there is yeah like that that phase of just like i don't know if it's a phase or whatever but just being able to be comfortable with that yeah i just don't know or that uncertainty is really i feel like it's healthy it is healthy well like i think it's (laughs) it's not only healthy but it's like it's really vital because you know, I mean, uncertainty is the it's the flavor of life, right? You and and people end up in in these fundamentalist churches and in these these you know rigid faiths because they're fleeing uncertainty. And so you go to these spaces and then you you know you stand on your beliefs and you say this is the way that it is. 
you know, and in Christianity, it was like, no, this is the way that it is, but it will not be made manifest until you believe that it's the way that it is. Mm -hmm. And once you believe it, it will be the way that it is. But (laughs) you just summed it up. (laughs) Yeah, right. So then it's always your fault if it's always there. Yeah, Yeah. right. Like (laughs) I, I was trying to speak in tongues and, you know, call down fire from heaven and and I couldn't get any of this stuff to happen. And I'm, I realize now, like, it's it's because I, you know, I mean, like, I, I guess at the time I thought it's because I don't believe it at all. And I realize now that it's just because it's hot nonsense. Like, you, yeah. can't, <laughs> you can't make any of these things happen. But yeah, I, I think I, I realized as well that, like, my my belief in in the belief, you know, like my belief that you you can believe your way to making this happen. It was so strong that I couldn't. I couldn't make it happen. You know, I, I like, I think mm-hmm. other people around me, they could speak in tongues because they knew that it was, it was kind of a performance. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But like, I wanted to do it properly. Like I believed what I was told. And as a result, I like, I couldn't, I couldn't actually make God appear in front of me the way that ever, everybody else could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I feel like that's a, that tends to be a lot of the narrative that those who end up leaving the church, that's the narrative about them. Well, they didn't believe enough. They didn't think enough. They didn't study enough. They didn't, you know, really know the Bible, but a lot of times the folks who end up leaving are the ones who were really studying and cared and were like, I need this to work. And it, and then realizing, Oh, sometimes it, it doesn't actually, Yeah, this doesn't work. Right. And yeah, that's it. Right. Like uh, the, like the searchers and like the people that are are really doing the work of Christianity, like, yeah, they're often the ones who quit because like, when you look into this stuff, you don't find more certainty, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like every time that you, you go looking for an answer to a theological question. I mean, you know, it turns out two more, or inevitably like you just <laughs> or you find out something that you're just like wait so a bunch of dudes were the ones that put the bible together god didn't god didn't yeah. together a bunch of dudes <laughs> did that what what <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like freaking out what does this mean <laughs> yeah at like freshman year at, at, at my christian university we had a class on like, the just the history of the new testament and you know i was a good christian kid i was excited to to learn about the history of the New Testament. And then our, our professor starts explaining that like, well, the gospels of Matthew and Luke are, are adapted from the gospel of Mark, but not entirely. Like there's like a theoretical other document that they appear to have, have been basing a lot of their stories on. And those stories are, are kind of rewritten for the audiences of the time. And, you know, I was like, well, hold on. Like, cause I thought that God breathed each one of these chronologically and you know John the beloved just slipped in that God liked him the best but like otherwise these are four totally separate books and then you find out like they're copying from the same source well then that's just like well then these are Batman stories like (laughs) (laughs) you know like Matthew the book of Matthew is Christopher Nolan's Batman and the and the book of Luke is is Tim Burton's Batman and you know like like yeah but he's a folk hero and then you you like repurpose the stories mm-hmm. for the mood of the time you know mm-hmm. just the it's like oh right now we're actually a little bit bullish on surveillance and so we get surveillance batman like you know it's and, and, like just to to realize that like wait like the, this is the these are the facts of how the bible was created 
but we're still going to say that it's, that it's God breathed and that, you know, it's infallible. Like, no, like even the biblical historians will be like, well, this book was actually just like etched from this other book. Like it's, it's just kind of an adaptation. Right. 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 Um, right. right. I, yeah, know, I remember it, just kind of like, I don't know if they would like let you go to seminary if any of this was going to happen, because that was like one of the reasons I went to seminary was like, I have all these questions and I read yeah. the Bible and these things don't make sense. And so I want to go to seminary so I can have the answers. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I left and I'm like, I have more <laughs> questions now. <laughs> yeah not solve this for me so yeah and it, it's funny like my kids are they're in that why phase you know just like mm-hmm. they'll be like how come you know this happened and then you'll be like oh and you'll give like a really succinct explanation like and then they'll just be like why and they'll do that again and again and again and there's no like there's no end to the the questions it's just like well why this well why that and eventually they're into like such deep, you know, philosophical territory that you're like, you know, I don't even have an answer to this particular why. Like, and now you're like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. They'll be like, why do you have to go to work? And you'll be like, well, well, I need money to live. They'll be like, well, why is the government structured in such a way that you need money to live? And you'll be like, well, <laughs> they'll be like, <laughs> like, well, you know, because if you don't do that, then I, I don't know. I'm told that people will be lazy and they'll be like well like why would you believe that no you'll just you'll eventually just kind of pause like oh yeah you're right like we shouldn't have to work that's that's a good point like i don't have any explanation for you (laughs) about why i should leave the house to make money when what i really want to do is just raise you like ah you're right but yeah like it's just the same thing with like with religion with christianity like as soon as you do one of these whys you turn over the page and it's two whys you know mm-hmm. um, and yeah like if you're looking for a, like a real serious answer what you find is that you know it all just kind of falls apart at the end yeah it's just not something that you like you can really like believe long term unless you're not looking too closely at it. And yeah, I feel like the people who do look closely are the ones who wind up leaving the church. I know. I think it's unfortunate, but that's starting to be the pattern that I'm seeing with the work that I do. So switching gears slightly, we've talked about this just a little bit, but you know, white families already adopted non-white child. What is advice would, that you would give to them if they're listening to this episode and this is the first time they're even yeah, considering yeah. this yeah i mean like my advice is to what would i even say i mean like really my advice is is that like you've got to be your kid's search angel and like i'll explain what that is you know this is a term that i learned from the the adoptee discourse that i'm kind of just now starting to to engage in a little bit more but you know like adoptees are at some point you're going to start asking about your history and your identity and you know, like it may not happen when you're 50 and it might not happen when you're 25, but like these are questions that you'll inevitably want to fill in. And what happens more often than not is that, you know, one's adoptive parents will be really resistant to that because it feels like it's attacking, you know, the, the narrative that they have imposed on your life. Like we yeah. are your parents and, you know, what, what you need though and what adoptees tend to find is, is somebody who will help them to, you know, to, to do the work of finding their family and, and give them the emotional support and yeah, like help them search. So, you know, the term is search angel. And I think that when it comes to, you know, your identity as a black person or even just as an adoptee in general, 
you know, like there's so much that you, that you don't know. And there's so much that you're looking for. And like, as you're trying to grow and make yourself feel real and make yourself feel three-dimensional and free, you know, you need your parents to be on your side about that. So, you know, like, I think that your parents need to be like, they need to be doing the work. And that includes like, you don't read the books. I know I, 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 (laughs) I little dig at Ibram X. Kendi earlier, but like, no, you got to, like read the books, you know, read stories like mine, try to get a sense of, of what's going on and like really, truly engage with the work that your child is doing to build a lasting identity. You know, you're like, we're so often left to our own devices as children, but especially as as black children or, or transracial adoptees, you know, when it comes to trying to figure out the world and, and figure out our place in it and and how to act. And what we really need is just is people around us who are going to yeah, like encourage us to try on different hats and, and encourage us to, you know, play with our identities a little bit and and grow and not feel like, I mean, in the case of, of you know, like me as a black boy, like feel like, well, I can't actually try on different ways of blackness. Like I can't actually investigate this without threatening my family or, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So like, I, I think that, you know, like I, I'm not for adoption necessarily, but I'm I'm certainly not for, ending adoptions that have already happened you know Mm -hmm. severing relationships and families that are already built like I'm not for rehoming you know so for for those that that find my work or that find you know that find themselves doing the work of of trying to to like to raise a transracial adoptee like you got to be their search angels and uh, you know you you really need to be doing everything you can to help them grow yeah I'm thinking about uh, you know bell hooks definition of love as just like the stewardship of the spirit you know Mm -hmm. Uh, like are you I love that language even though it's it's very biblical but you know like that's the idea like it's not just like I love you and that means that you belong to me it's like no I love you and it means that you don't and and you know that Mm -hmm. means that you can you can grow and I I just want you to grow in whatever direction Mm-hmm. you know Steward, towards yeah, whatever I'm stewarding, you. I'm stewarding your spiritual growth you know I just want you to grow and yeah for most of my life I, I felt like I was being limited you know and I was I was being encouraged to not grow and I had to break away from my family uh, my adoptive family in order to to feel like a, a full person mm-hmm. um, and yeah like I just think that's going to happen to to more adoptive families than not if they aren't actively stewarding the growth of, of their children. Yeah. You have a quote in the book. I don't know if I'll say it exactly. You'll probably be able to say it. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. It, when you adopt me, you adopt my history. Yeah. Quote. Um, yeah. And, and then it's, what was, is it? If you, I don't remember. Yeah, I know the quote. If you adopt me, you adopt <laughs> my history. Like to, to do otherwise is to cut me in half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like I'm a, cause you know, yeah. I, I talk in that same paragraph about this idea that that life begins at conception it's like no like it life has, begins half begun you know like when you're born you've you've been you've been carried around in your you know in your mother's body for your whole life like or for her whole life you know you like you have already had experiences imprinted upon you you already have like an active and ongoing history so yeah, I think that as we as we you know we we recover our history as adoptees, like it, there's just so much outrage that comes with finding out like mm. this rich, you know, remarkable, complex history of mine. Like you really thought, 
you could just like shake me like an etch a sketch and start from scratch mm-hmm. like that's not okay yeah um, and that's something that all all parents who are adopting children need to be aware of like you are getting not just the two years when you get them at two years old or whatever it's yeah not, not just missing those two years you're missing their entire history and like yeah everything that led up to who they are and how they became yeah it's it's just it's so important and a lot of adoptees will will say when they're younger that it's not important you know they'll just say oh I don't really care about that mm-hmm. you know like in, in my book I talked about like well why why would I care about some woman who just gave birth to me Um, you know we and that's just kind of a performative thing we do in order to fit in in our adoptive families but you know the reality is that like that's everything and and you know you you eventually realize that it's it's just so important and it gives so much context for who you are now you know like I I there was a long time where I wanted to believe believe that I just I just started wherever I was now you know like I just I was born in Abbotsford and, and I was born into this family and, and that's that. But mm-hmm. then, you know, I mean, I met my mom and I, I remember, you know, when she, when she came into that coffee shop, I want to say at the end of the book, but actually at, at the, the middle of my life, she yeah, came into that right. coffee shop. She was just so like, I can be very anxious and, and just kind of jittery. And it was so funny watching her poke her head in and then look back and then look across the street and then look over and see me. And then realized that I'd seen her do all those different looks and kind of like stand up straight and then like move towards me and then think like, oh, I actually I should get a coffee and then like turn away from me, but then turn back because no, 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 I'm supposed to still be greeting my son. Like, you know, there was just so going on in her head. And I saw that like, oh, that's what happens in my head. (gasps) You know, like it's it's not just like context for how you ended up, how you ended up. It's like context for for how you act and who you are. And, you know, I, I felt so silly at times just existing as who I was. And then, you know, you meet somebody who's like a grown-up version of you and they, well, no, who is a grown-up version of you. And they, like, they give you like confidence mm-hmm. for like, mm-hmm. oh, I can be this way and that's okay. Like, and it, this comes from somewhere, you know, like my, <laughs> yeah, my tendencies now, it's so fun. Like, Cause I can just think of them as, as historical tendencies, like, Oh, well, you know, that runs in the family. Um, you know, I, and I don't just mean like a medical thing. It's like, Oh, well the shape of my nose runs in the family or like my complete inability to be, to be told like, no, you can't have a piece of cake. Like, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm having it. I'm having it. You know, that's, <laughs> that's just something that like, now that I know that my, my mom was like that and, and she was like, Oh yeah, my, my dad was like that. You know, it just, it, it grounds me in the world and it says, oh, I've existed many times before. Well, yeah. And then just like the, the fact that that reality is not the like mainstream reality. So there's going to be so many people who, who like grew up, like knowing their parents and knowing who that was. And so they just don't have, I mean, even me, as I'm hearing you say that, like, I don't have a concept of like, you know, like my face looks like my dad's and like, you yeah. know, like, like I just like, I don't have a reality where that is not true. Yeah. That will be really hard. I think for a lot of people to just like, oh, you're right. <laughs> like I never, yeah. I never yeah. thought of that. It's really jarring. Mm-hmm. You know, my, like my son is so much like me and it's, it's so exciting for me 
to to just kind of be able to exist in front of him mm. you know and, and i and i watch him copy my mannerisms or um you know he's like two years old but if he suffers a minor inconvenience he goes ridiculous and that's <laughs> like that's obviously from me you know I just I think like yeah I didn't have that and so you you just kind of go around like trying on the mannerisms of the people around you like is this me is this me yeah like he gets to see his dad and 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 copy his dad's mannerisms and like and have it feel natural for him to be like that mm-hmm. yeah i i do feel like that's like that's one thing that i i'm kind of grateful for about the whole experience of, of having the life that i had is like just the the now having the understanding of, of what it's like to to not see anyone around you who looks like you and then one day you know to to meet people who, who really ground you in, in who you are as a person and who give you that context at at my mom's funeral there was a guy across the like across the church just kind of looking at me. I was looking at this dude and it was weird because like he looked a lot like me, you know, and uh, eventually I went over to him. Uh, and You know, he tells me like, oh, I'm actually your, I'm your uncle. He was like younger than me. He was like, I'm your uncle. Like I'm your, I'm your mom's youngest brother. And I just looked him up and down. Like this guy has my body. Wow. He has like, he has my legs. Like he has my butt. He has like even the, and you know, it, it was fun because, you know, he's, he's gay. And so it means he dresses better than I do. Like he just had a, like a better sense of how to do my body. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I just, sometimes I wished that like I had like a gay version of me to show me how to accessorize. <laughs> and it turns out I do like, wow. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's just, you know even like to show me how to be like a little bit more queer because everybody's always like you're like you're a little I'm getting a little bit of queer energy from you but like I don't I don't (laughs) I got that yesterday embrace that let's embrace this yeah I know like yeah and that's it it's like yeah no I because when I was younger people would say like you know like yeah like in the book I when I was working at sport check there I, I left out a bunch of sport chick anecdotes because you can't tell everything but there was a, a time that I was helping a guy with like some shirts which is like oh like can I help you get into a change room and he was like no thanks man I, whatever you do that's cool but I'm not I'm not <laughs> I was like, what like what are you talking about <laughs> so he thought you were coming on <laughs> yeah he did but it was funny then I was like oh, I'm not I am not gay like I enjoy the company of women and then you know at some point later, like it kept happening enough that I, you know, I realized that, yeah, like I, I do just kind of give off like a little bit of a queer energy, but I don't know how to like how to hone it or shape it. And again, like if I lived in, if I was with my biological family, I'd have, you know, Uncle Junior around and I'd be like, oh, like he'll tell me how to do this. And like I'd, I'd be I'd feel a little bit more comfortable, like being who I am and then playing with the shape of that, you know, instead of just kind of like trying on different hats and and, right. and mucking around with gimmicks yeah so it was really cool to to meet him and just like immediately see like a different vision for how to wear my own body mm-hmm. um yeah and I'm I'm just I'm grateful for the the context of that like for not knowing how to do that and then suddenly one day you know seeing a family member and and right. I could do that yeah I think that it's really cool yeah. What's it like? I mean, we're getting close to time, but what's it like just, yeah, being a parent now after your experience? What's that like for you? 
Oh, it's amazing. Like I was saying, you know, your your family members, they give you this context. And like being able to look down at my son and see myself like continuing or like see myself occurring again, you know, it's it's remarkable. Yeah. And that's like that's a real thing, too, because I like I just always thought of myself as such a singularity, you know, like, all right, well, like I'm the anomaly and I'm just kind of out here bouncing around in the space, like mostly accidental. But then you know, one day you have, you have kids and and like, no, those kids continue on from me. Like, I I think one of the first times I was holding my, my daughter, I just looked down at her and I said, I have a root. Like I (laughs) (laughs) look at this, like, this is my first offshoot. This springs from me, you know, like I'm a tree in the world now. This is, it's remarkable. So yeah, there are days that, that my kids make me feel just like so grounded and, and, and grounded, like, in my right to exist. Mm-hmm. Just like, no, no, no. Like, my kids are here, and they need to see that you can be like this. You can look like this. You can, you know, you can be descended from me and thrive. Because I thrive, goddammit. Like, and yeah. I'm going to show them, this is how you do it. And, you know, when somebody calls us an N-word on the street, I'm going to be like, check this out. Like, let's spin <laughs> around and shake this idiot's hand he'll be so stunned that he'll give us a job like you know like i'm just yeah i'm just excited (laughs) i'm excited to be a dad and and have connections and to be able to offer them context for their lives and yeah i've talked to a few other adoptees and they'll say like yeah like meeting my parents was like transformative Mm. having having my children was more so like it like it just it changed everything. And I really think like, it's not a coincidence that this book came out a few years after my kids were born, like that, that was the context that I needed for my own life, you know, and I, and I was able to, like, I see how I treat them. And it makes me reflect on how I was treated growing Mm -hmm. up. I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. like, well, that's abuse. You can't do that. You know? And like, I would never do that to my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like never ever. So yeah. I mean, they just, like in some ways, you know, your kids take you back to your own childhood and and they do give you that like that hindsight and the ability to reflect on what was and was not working. You know, when my kids scream, like I actually just I still just kind of picture my own parents like bursting in and giving me big spankings, you know, mm-hmm. or like slamming a door behind me or in front of me or like because I know that the way that they're acting led to, you know, to violence or, or outbursts yeah. against me. So, yeah, like it can be very triggering for mm-hmm. them to, to scream. And I've told them this and they keep doing it. But, you know, yeah, like it's it's tough. But, uh, you know, I, I think about those moments and, and what would have happened to me. And then and then I don't do that to my own children. You know, I make a different choice and I realize that, yeah, like the way that I was treated growing up is not OK. It wasn't okay. Yeah, absolutely was not okay. Do you feel like the book, do you feel like you could have written the book if you hadn't had children? I mean, like, honestly, no, I, I don't think that I, I could have because I, I, I hadn't been able to wrap my head around my own childhood. And I think too, that like having my kids made me so angry for what I went through, you know, and it just, it gave me the fuel to want to tell this story because, you know, like I, I didn't realize how bad it was. And I thought, like there have to be just so many other versions of me out there who have never had anybody say like, Hey, what you went through, like that was abuse. You know, it wasn't okay. You know, like, yeah. Like even like growing up in church, like this is a bad place for me. Like it's a Mm -hmm. bad place for kids to be, you know, community rules, but these churches, 
Like that's a poisonous community. Like you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be going there. And so like, I, I'm delighted to, to not, to not take my kids to church. And in that way, (laughs) you know, just spare them from like a lifetime of internalized abuse. Like I'm, Oh, I'm delighted about it. So yeah, I think having my kids just kind of allowed me to, it gave me the fuel, I think, to write this book because I knew that yeah, like I didn't want them to go through it. And then you don't want any other kid to go through it. And then right. like suddenly, yeah, it just kind of went from there. Mm-hmm. I hope this isn't a cliche because I know I saw some th- things online saying it was like comparable to educated. I hope that's not cliche, but I, I can imagine. I mean, I resonated with so much of this, but I, I remember when I read educated and just being like, it was the first time, like, I mean, didn't have a conversation with like, it, that's basically the first time I met somebody who had gone through an experience that was similar to mine. Oh, yeah. And so I can imagine that your book is going to be that. And it probably has been that for so many people of just like the first time I'm encountering someone who has my story. Yeah. Um, very, very powerful. As we wrap up, I would love to hear just if there's anything else that you want to say or to adoptees or adoptive parents. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it. first of all, please buy my book. Yes. I don't, I don't want to have to get a real job again. Like, <laughs> I just don't. We're just going to be real. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, and you know, it's funny too, like this book was so difficult to write that like, I feel like I deserve three to four years of not having to work at all. And I, you know, I'm not going to get that. I'm, I'm, I'm already back to work, but you know, I like, I, I just want to write books and I want to write books like this, that like that reach people that I know are not being reached or served or, you know, have not seen themselves in literature ever. So, you know, I want that. And then the only other thing I'll say for adoptees is, yeah, you're allowed to say adoption is bad. I think that it's it's hard for us to say because our parents want us to say that it's good. And it like it's just been framed as such an objectively charitable act right. that, you know, it's difficult to to push through that, you know, and people will say it's like saying like, oh, I want to abolish prisons. And then people will be like, oh, well, where do you think the murderers will go? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man, like I, I have not thought through necessarily what we should do with recidivists, but I do think that the government shouldn't be allowed to take your freedom away and lock you in a cell period across the board. So like, I don't know where we fix that necessarily, but I'm going to stand by my belief that we shouldn't be doing that. And I'm the same way with adoption. Like, I don't know how you fix it. Like, no, there shouldn't be orphans, you know? Like, yes, every child should have a loving home, but adoption, especially the way that we do it, it's not working. That erasure, you're talking about just that erasure. Yeah. You're separated from. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. it's like a transfer of ownership. Like, I mean, apart from the language we use to describe it, it's just buying children. And, you know, I think that it's it's just difficult for people, even adoptees who have been through it and know how much more complex and not enjoyable it can be it's difficult for us to to just say like hey this this is a bad system and it looks a lot like buying children but you know that's the only way that we can we can push through to the other side is by acknowledging that beginning to discuss that and then instead of saying to me like well what would you do instead you know like turn that question back on yourself like help me envision like a world where the the kid purchasing part of it 
isn't something framed as a charitable good in our society, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what we do instead, but I know that what we do now is not working. Right. No. Yeah. And I think that that awareness is where it starts. So I appreciate, I appreciate you helping us become aware. Uh, <laughs> Yay. One final question. I like to ask this a lot. What is a piece of art, book, movie, song, show, whatever that is meaningful to you right now? Oh, let me think. What am I super into right now? Well, uh, truthfully, I want to say Beyonce's Renaissance because it's just that just that time. Has anyone else <laughs> on your podcast already gushed about Beyonce's Renaissance? Nope. Okay, so because it's so good, right? <laughs> like it's just, oh man, you know, like and it just it 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 starts like so many other Beyonce albums where it's just kind of like slow and she's just she's just saying how good she is. But then you know, like the 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 beat drops right around Cuff It, and oh my God, this album never lets up. Like Cuff It through energy through Break My Soul is one of the best three song suites I've heard in a long time. And then there's just nothing but like, and you're exhausted by the end of Break My Soul. And then there's nothing but gems afterward. Like stay awake, Beyonce's just, she's got a whole side B for you. All of the world is side B now because Beyonce, a Renaissance, something, something Beyonce. It's a really good album. And I like, I feel like I, like I listen to a lot of music, but this is the first album, like maybe since COVID that's just like, this album's given me life, you know, and I, I, I put it on and like, I, I'm not even, I'm not even really checking to see what other albums have been released since. Like it, it's been months. It's just this one. Just this one. Yeah. Yeah. So my recommendation is, is Beyonce's Renaissance. It's just so good. I know what my soundtrack for work will be today. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this has been absolutely delightful i really i really appreciate this i really like your book i also echo what you said that folks should buy it i really think it is i i really think it is a book that that everyone should read not just that's what i've been saying thank you so much yeah i really think i'm like there's just a lot a lot in it and and so much i feel like that happened that you talk about in the book has shaped just our culture like the culture mm-hmm. we're in right now was shaped by a lot of the events that happened in your book and, and I, don't, I don't know that we're always aware yeah so, yeah it's so true thank you very much for writing thank you for coming on today best of luck thank you your literary endeavors thank you so much I, yeah I had a blast thanks so much for having me thanks so much for joining us today Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.